Hola. Hello. Hej. Greetings. All those pleasantries. Um, I think my, we're just going to hop right in. I think my favorite comment over the last 18 months with all this COVID stuff was the dude who said, Jesus would quarantine, man. And I looked at him with a slightly perplexed expression on my face and said, Jesus hung out with lepers. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. So with that, we're, uh, we're back to podcasting here. Um, and that's the episode. Jesus, Jesus uh, would have quarantined. No, he hung out with lepers. Um, thank you for tuning in. Hope everybody's doing well. We'll look to see you next week. Where you been, Muth? Where you been? It's been a while. It's been a minute, as they say, which I I don't know what that phrase means. I, th- I think it means like it's been a while. Um, but then I've also seen people use it kind of like uh, ironically, like, you know, you just saw somebody five minutes ago and you're like, whoa, it's been a minute or something. I, I don't get it. The, the modern lingo and modern modern uh, logic escapes me at times. Um, but to answer your question, where have we been? We took a journey out west uh, end of July into uh, August. We were gone for a couple weeks. Drove out west to uh, visit some family out in New Mexico and spend some time in the high altitude desert. Uh, a lot of fun. I, I discovered that halfway between where we live in Georgia and Albuquerque is Fort Smith, Arkansas. Uh, it's almost halfway. I think it was with the hotel was within three miles of being the exact halfway point. Um, the highlight of the whole road trip. Uh, I like road trips. They're fun. We did 700 miles a day split it up into two days. Um, But the second day when we were heading west on I-40, we passed a sign, um, big, big sign said, the childhood home of Troy Aikman, exit now. And uh, I forgot that he grew up in, I think, Henrietta, Oklahoma, which was right there off of I-40. And that was their big attraction. So if you're you're a Cowboys honk, you could uh, take that exit and go see Troy Aikman's home. Um, I probably would have done that, but I'm sort of in between right now with my road tripping. Like when I was younger, it was like, get in the car, uh, put a clamp on your urethra and, uh, we are not stopping until we're running on fumes. Um, but as, as I continue to get older, I actually get more, I think I'm going the opposite direction. I was talking to my brother-in-law and he said the older he gets, the more he's just get in and go and never stop. And I'm actually getting to be, I'm going the opposite direction. I'm, I'm a lot more laid back. So we, I broke the trip up into, uh, we stopped every 25%. So 70, 700 miles. We just, you know, I think, I, man, this is like deja vu. This is, I think I must be recounting a DC road trip or something. Um, but yeah, much more laid back and I probably would have stopped but it wasn't on one of the quarterly uh, mile markers so I didn't um, so maybe I've still I, I'm, I'm becoming a uh, much softer more understanding road tripper um, but still battling some uh, OCD as far as 
mathematical precision. But we stopped at uh, some at the three quarter of the way mark. Stopped in uh, West Texas, and I ordered one pound of brisket, which smelled and looked delicious. And my son went up and ordered it while I was getting gas and you know uh, filling up the tank and whatnot. And the so my son went in ordered a pound of brisket and he brought it over to the picnic table area and it was like it was it was not one pound of brisket it was a ton of brisket and he said that the teenage working teenager working the counter was like eh whatever um you know because when they they put it on the scale and they're weighing it you know sometimes it's 0.92 and they add a little more sometimes it's 0 0.08 1.08 and they take a little bit off uh, my son said he just like threw one big blob of brisket on the scale and it was like almost two pounds and he was just like shrugged his shoulders and charged us for a pound and I got two pounds of brisket. Um, and to my credit slash maybe shame, um, I ate all two pounds of brisket. So I was, uh, I think I mentioned previously, maybe not, that uh, I've been focused my diet on trying to hit uh, specific macro targets between protein, carbs, and fat. Oh my goodness, you're one of those workout bros. You believe in toxic masculinity. Uh, so I've been aiming for the last, uh, better part of 2021, I've been aiming for 200 grams of protein, uh, 100 grams of carbs, and 50 grams of healthy fats. Um, those are like my daily maxes. The the protein kind of got to hit it. Carbs, trying to stay under it. And then fat, trying to not exceed it. So um, anyway, so two two pounds of brisket definitely contribute, contributed to the 200 grams of protein. Um, I think it probably redlined um, my fat intake for the day because that was some, it was not a lean cut of brisket, I'll tell you that much, but it was delicious. So anyway, went out to went out there, and I was going to take a couple weeks off, just relax, and then I was browsing the USTA website, United States Tennis Association website, and I discovered that there was a tennis tournament happening up in Santa Fe, and so I looked at the draw, and I kept my eye on the registrations because I was like, man, you know, if there's 16 people or more who sign up for this thing, that means I've got to play, if I do well, four matches. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to sign up for this thing if there's more than 16 people because I don't want to get wrapped around the axle playing two matches a day um, right in the middle of the weekend of our of our vacation. So kept my eye on it. Registration expired. Um, the deadline was mon a Monday at 11.59 p.m. And so like, I think 10.30 at night, I logged in and there were six people signed up and I was like, sweet, I'm going to pull the trigger on this. Um, it'll be a quarterfinal draw to start. So seven people, there'll be, you know, a quarterfinal equivalent draw. So you win quarters, you win semis, you win finals and you're done if, if it all goes according to plan. So I pulled the trigger, signed up and uh, next morning I get up and look and there's still seven people and I was like, sweet, you know, this is great. Um, so then I get a notification 
that the tournament director actually took the liberty of adding one more person. So there was eight people total, which is fine. It just means that one person didn't end up getting a buy automatically into the semis. So the draw comes out and, you know, I have no idea um, where I'm going to be seated. Um, I, I didn't have any expectations that I would be seated because I haven't played an official singles match in I don't know how long. Um, couple singles matches that I've played. Oh, geez. I think the last singles match that I played in a tournament was 2016 uh, when I lost to a kid named Adam Ambrosi, who was 18th in the country in boys' 18s. And he had a full ride to Cornell? No, Columbia. I think Columbia. Columbia or Cornell? They were like ranked eighth in the country. Um, and he was this big six foot four, six foot five blonde Florida tennis player who, you know, that was his life. Um, he actually reminded me, he reminded me of myself, you know, what was that? 2016, probably 20 years prior, um, you know, just dedicated his entire life to tennis, you know, looking to play collegiately and all this stuff. And so we ended up playing and he won the first set. Uh, if I remember correctly, he won the first set six, two. And then I turned the tables on him um, and went old school on the rise 90s power tennis and took the second set 6-4. And they, it was a charity event. So, you know, they don't, they don't make you grind out a full third set. They say play a match tie break. So we played a match tie break. And I lost, I think I lost that either 13-11 or 12-10. Um, I remember I was down... I was down nine, nine to six in the breaker, and I saved three match points. Um, with it, with a the last one I saved, I remember I bombed an ace. Um, anyway, he ended up beating me, and so. I, but my point is that was over five years ago that I played singles. So I don't know why I got this wild hair to go play singles, um, but I was like, yeah, it sounds like fun. I'll I'll take these young kids out. Um, so a draw comes out. I'm not seated, not surprisingly. If it was doubles, maybe a little bit different because there's some official. Uh, my partner and I just won a tournament, uh, middle of July men's open UST event here in here in Atlanta, um, and we we played lights out. I mean, we smoked smoked some teams. Um, so uh, I've got some official doubles results in the computer, but no singles results. So my expectations were incredibly low. Uh, Draw comes out. Number one seed is some freshman at USC Davis. UC Davis. Uh, second seed is some twenty-year-old kid who was uh, state champion in New Mexico and a fairly high-ranked USTA kid for the Southwest region. Um, and then the rest of the draw was just kind of bums, um, myself included. And so I look and I'm like, oh, cool! I'm on the number two seed side, so I'm, you know I'd play the high school New Mexico high school champion, and. YouTube's great. Um, you can go and just search their name and everybody's so either just narcissistic and posting, hey, look how great I am or college recruiting. It was kind of hard to tell with how he was wording his his stuff. And as I watched him, I watched his videos on YouTube for 10 minutes and I was like, all right, so if I keep four balls in play, he'll make an error because he's trying to get on, you know, some TikTok highlight reel um, as opposed to be actually being interested in winning a tennis match. I think I've talked about that before with my kids and basketball, um, their basketball peers. It's like, 
I don't understand this generation. They, you'd rather you'd rather lose a game by 35 points, but if you broke some guy's ankle and ended up on a five-second repeatable infinite loop video where you know 50 people jump out of the stands and run around going, "Oh my gosh, he broke his ankle! It's crazy!" Um, I don't get it. I don't get it. But that plays in the favor of this old man because I'm more interested in winning than ending up on a highlight reel. And if I do end up on a highlight reel, it's probably going to be some blooper about me tearing a meniscus or, you know, throwing my back out and doubling over. Um, so anyway, uh, get the draw, plan some guy uh, who actually turns out to be the stepbrother of a good friend of mine. Oh, that scared me that the AC kicked on. Why is the AC on? Hold on one second. Hold on one second. I am currently walking to the thermostat. You're breaking all kinds of podcast protocol. jumpy this morning that 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 fan kicked on it it gave me a startle flinch if you don't know what i'm referring to listen to i don't know an episode or two ago where i spoke about the startle flinch maybe that's what i'll do instead of carrying like concealed carry permit or pepper spray or throwing a phone at someone um who out of the blue just you know begins some belligerent activity I'm just going to carry a gigantic thermostat and a house-sized AC unit around. And to startle Flincham, I'll just turn the fan on. <laughs> so anyway, I end up playing a guy who's stepbrother of a good friend of mine um, who I used to be. We played doubles together back in the day. Um, so we go out. I'm feeling great. And... You know, I'm, I, I've always not, I mean, not to, again, I'm not trying to be braggadocious, um, but fitness and athleticism is uh, obviously, it's, it's important to me. It's always been part of my life ever since I was like three years old. So I've remained relatively fit as a 42 and three quarters, probably 42 and probably 42 and 15 sixteenths at this point in time. <laughs> my... Actually, no. Officially, if I'm going to actually be a math ODC, OCD guy, I'm 42 and 51, 50 seconds because my birthday is exactly a week from today. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> relatively fit, feeling good. So I think, well, I should probably at least hit a few tennis balls before you know I go up to drive up an hour to Santa Fe and try to play in this tournament. So I reach out uh, to a couple old, a couple older, not older like age wise, just friends that I've known for a while in the Albuquerque area. And that one of the clubs there is actually owned by the same parent company that owns the clubs that I've taught at in Tampa and in Atlanta. So I've given I'm a teaching pro at a club in Tampa when we lived there and then the a club up here in Atlanta and the club out in Albuquerque, they're all under the same corporate umbrella. So I called them and I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm one of the teaching pros here in Atlanta. Um, you know, you have anybody that I can hit with for a little bit. And 
they never got back to me, um, but I did get in touch with a friend who was a member at that club. So we showed up and we played for, so we went out and hit and man, 15 minutes in, I just sucking wind. Like I'm barely even moving. I'm just barely split stepping, you know, just kind of casually hitting, you know, just trying to get the body going. And I just start sucking wind and I'm like, start sweating profusely. And I was like, bro, I got to take a break. So I go sit down and, you know, just sip on some water. And he's like, dude, I think, you know, you haven't been here long enough to acclimate to the altitude. And I was like, ah, screw that. Who needs, who, who needs altitude acclimation? You just need, uh, you just need mental strength. <laughs> so we go back out, hit for another, I don't know, 10 minutes and same thing. I'm like, it's getting worse and worse. It's like progressively getting worse. My heart rate is continuing to go up. Um, it's not... It's like a higher high, like in stock lingo, you're always looking on the chart for a higher high. So if it spikes to 20 bucks um, and then comes back to 15 to the support line, you then want it to it on its next bullish move to go 25. And if it doesn't break that 20, then you're in trouble. So goes up 25, retreats back to 20, 17, whatever, and then it's supposed to go up higher, et cetera. And so it's kind of my heart rate. It's like in a bullish trend, higher highs, not lower lows, um, just just getting just going south on me, and I'm barely even moving. I'm just trying to warm up and practice a few days before the tournament starts. So he's like, "Oh, so let's play some points." Um, so he serves, and I'm returning, and obviously my competitive juices get flowing. And you're trying to you're trying to practice like you would play. Uh, so you know, naturally, just instinct and muscle memory, my my intensity levels go up and so we play a few games and i smoked him by the way but that's you know that's neither here nor there um the scoreboard reflected uh a goose egg in his favor um and and a uh big fat six in my favor but that's neither here nor there um so we get done with a set and i'm done like my heart rate is just it's blazing i'm just i got the flop sweats wheezing just sucking wind and he was like yeah dude he goes you need to acclimate for uh for the altitude and he goes well it's a good thing you're playing doubles at the tournament you won't have to run around as much <laughs> and i said actually actually i signed up for my first uh singles event in six years and he was like "Ooh, you could be in trouble and I said, why is that? And he's like, well, you probably forgot that Santa Fe is an additional 2,000 feet higher than Albuquerque where you're, you know, suffering from hypoxia at the moment. And I was like, oh, boy. So that was on a Wednesday. Go home. Uh, and I just focus on hydration. So I'm just drinking um, all day Thursday. I'm drinking, stretching, and doing a 30-minute hit workout in the garage of the house we were staying at. So once a day, Thursday. Um, get up, do an early morning, 30 minute hit workout, um, just hydration, nutrition, and, and one hit workout a day. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to get me to where I need to be to, to, you know, run through this tournament because they're a bunch of, I mean, it's, it's Albuquerque. I mean, come on. I mean, I, I grew up in Albuquerque. Um, in fact, I would argue I've actually become a better tennis player moving to Florida and Atlanta simply because the, not only the quantity, but the quality of play is just it's just it's vastly superior to tennis in in new mexico and that's no that's not like oh you're so discriminatory and you're crapping all over your roots no um a lot of good stuff happened in new mexico with tennis but 
<clears throat> it's just a quality and quantity issue. And you cannot put um, New Mexico <laughs> anywhere on par with Florida and Atlanta when it comes to the quantity and the quality of the tennis. Um, <clears throat> so I'm actually pretty confident, um, especially knowing that, you know, 30 years of, I started competing in tournaments when I was seven. This podcast is turning into Uncle Rico. You're just recounting all your glory days. Move on, you old geezer. I'm just telling you what happened. You asked the question why I wasn't here for a couple weeks, and I'm telling you why. So settle in and uh, just roll with it. So I'm pretty confident because I've, you know, I've been playing tournaments since I was seven. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of tennis IQ that you accumulate kind of through osmosis, willfully. Some of it just kind of forcefully sticks to you, even when you don't want it to stick to you. And so, and as the older I get, the more I discover that that tennis IQ uh, can, it's very effective at combating (laughs) youthful athleticism, um, much more so in doubles. Uh, but you know, I was, I was feeling bullish about my, my chances to use some of that knowledge against young, you know, 19 year old kids on the tennis, on the singles court. So drive up to Santa Fe, pick up my parents. They want to watch me play. They're like, Oh, we miss our lovely son. Haven't seen him play tennis in forever. So it's like, great. Pick him up, drive up to Santa Fe, get there, stretch, warm up, get the body ready to go. And I get up. Playing well. And then I knew, I was like, okay, I need to conserve energy. Like I can't redline because, you know, I, I was aware, okay, the altitude bothered me on Wednesday. This is higher. I have to take it easy. So my game plan um, was, it's, it's, it's transitioned into being called serve plus one. If you turn on the tennis channel or listen to any of the honks on ESPN or wherever, uh, guys like Darren Cahill, Paul Anacone, um, Mary Jo Fernandez, Pam Shriver, they're, they're always talking about serve plus one. So you put in a big serve and then you're looking for the big round stroke. So my, my game plan was big first serve, big forehand, hold serve easy. And then my game plan on returns, take them on the rise, clip some winners, get a break, you got the set. So all's going according to plan. I get up 4-1, um, rolling through this guy and we had a really long point and it's it was it's the downfall of being too competitive is in the heat of battle i lost i completely threw out the window don't overexert yourself at this altitude and so i dug in to beat him on this long point and when the point was over i instantly my brain instantly said that was a mistake um because it spiked my heart rate and i was like oh geez this is gonna be bad um so from 4-1 to, I, at 4-1, I got dizzy, and then I move in. I win this at 6-1. So from 4-1 to 6-1, I'm feeling incredibly dizzy, and I'm trying to bring my heart rate down, not working. And then the next six games are just a total blur. Like, I don't remember really anything that happened in those next six games. Next thing I know, tournament director's out on the court, and he's going, um, you might want to take a five-minute break. And I was, I looked, I was like, why? I looked at him, I was like, why do I need to take a five minute break? And he goes, well, you just hit a serve and sat down on the baseline. (laughs) And I was like, get out of here, no way. Um, Actually, I didn't, I wasn't that adamant because I I felt incredibly confused. It felt like my brain was just like floating off into space, like some kid at a birthday party, you know, accidentally let go of the string 
on his helium balloon and you know it's just drifting away on the soft winds and he's bawling his eyes out that's what my brain felt like i was like come back balloon um and my opponent came over and he was like uh we can finish this tomorrow if you want he's like uh you know i'm not you know we can do it tomorrow if you need a break and i was like what Uh, no let me just sit down so i sit down on the bench sipping on water and my mom comes out who you know for 40 some years was a registered nurse she takes my pulse and it's over 120 and i was like dude but my my i think i bragged about my resting heart rate on an episode or two ago about when i went to the doctor and they were like what your resting heart rate's 46 um I mean, typically my resting heart rate is between 45 and 52. So, you know, I'm sitting on the bench, it's 120, I'm sitting there, still 120, I'm sitting there, still above 100, and I'm going, huh. So my mom looks at me and she says, uh, she says, Brandon, I think you should probably stop because, you know, you've been sitting there for five minutes and your heart rate hasn't come down. And I mean, it's talk about flop sweats. I mean, I was like just gushing water, like just pouring sweat, just sitting there. Um, short of breath, couldn't breathe, incredibly just confused and, and absent-minded. Um, and I told someone after the fact, to talk to him a few days after the fact, and I said, normally I can find some sort of stubborn thing to focus on, like, hey, I'm not gonna let this person beat me or you know, some internal challenge to focus on to push against. And like I said, my, my brain was just floating away into, into that stratosphere. So anyway, I ended up calling it and uh, retired in the second set. I think it was 3-4 um, when, I, when I just like, hey, you know, I, this is fun and I wish I could keep playing, but I don't want to die, um, you know, or get worse. So I, I retired and, and you know hung my head in shame. Actually, I didn't hang I didn't hang my head in shame until a couple of days later, <laughs> because I, I'm not kidding. I was just so confused. So my dad offers to drive home, which was a good idea. I start getting incredibly nauseous, on the brink of puking, terrible headache, just dry mouth, feeling crappy. Um, and so we get back to Albuquerque, and that 2,000 drop uh, in elevation, I started feeling a little better. Grabbed a little bit to eat, kept sipping on some uh, some rehydration stuff, took some Advil. Um, we got home. My brother-in-law was checking my oxygen. He was like, yeah, you're fine. Pulse was still up. Um, so he goes, I think you got mild altitude sickness. So anyway, go off to bed, wake up the next morning, worst headache of my life. I mean, it felt like someone was... It felt like someone was inside my temples trying to break through to the outside with a sledgehammer. That's what it felt like. Like every time my heart beat, it was just like kaboom, kaboom. And that's, you know, somebody was going to start singing some sort of like mining or coal mine song um, in rhythm with the, the heartbeat. Um, so that day, that next day, I just took it super easy, didn't do anything, just kind of laid around, kept, you know, hydrating and, and eating and whatever. So the second day I wake up and I'm like, you know what? David Goggins would be ashamed of me right now. (laughs) That was my first thought the second morning I woke up. And then I just started chastising myself. I was like, you are such a pansy muth. You are the, you're just the epitome of a big talking, no performing waste of space when it comes to competitive grit and pushing through suffering. You are a chump. That's all I could think. So I pull out my phone and I go to Google and I'm like, how to push through 
altitude sickness. <laughs> no, no, I said how to mentally, how to mentally push through altitude sickness is what I is what I uh, searched. And every result came back. Do not attempt. It's impossible. If you start experiencing symptoms of altitude sickness, immediately retreat to a lower elevation. <clears throat> and then they showed this infographic and it was like, you know, the first layer was altitude sickness, which is what I had. The flop sweats, the elevated heart rate, the brain floating away into outer space, um, confusion, nausea. And then the next one was like mild, you know, kind of mild to medium hypoxia. Um, which is where your brain starts getting starved for oxygen. Um, and if you if you persist in that space for you know too long a time, it goes to like severe hypoxia, which leads to cerebral and pulmonary edema. <laughs> so, <clears throat> um, so I was like, okay, well, maybe it was a good decision that I uh, that I retreated to a lower elevation. Um, on the, the first sign. So then I kind of patted myself on the back and I was like, hey, way to be smart there, old man. Way to be smart. But at the same time, I was still, I st I'm still braiding myself. What a bum. Um, figure out, figure it out, dude. So anyway, I think I'm going to order a, uh, I might order one of those high altitude oxygen training masks just to prepare for the next time I randomly decide to play a tournament the last minute at 7,000 feet. Um, got to be prepared at all times. Keep your powder dry, as they say. So that happened. Um, and then we spent the next week in southern New Mexico, high up in the mountains. Um, beautiful, just beautiful. Green, luscious, afternoon rainstorms, just crystal clear lakes. Like you jump in the lake and, I mean, you could see probably 15, 20 feet down, just crystal clear sun glistening. Um and then we drove home and on the way back i actually didn't do half and half because going west you pick up you know you, you pick up time east coast central and then mountain time zone so mountain time zone's two hours ahead behind so if it's 7 p.m in in eastern time zone it's 5 p.m in the mountain time zone so you know, it's kind of like, eh, I'll split it in half because you, you gain an hour and it doesn't feel like it's as long. Coming back the other way, it's 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 psychologically difficult because, you know, you leave, if it's 5 p.m. in um, Mountain, it's 7 p.m. in Eastern. So I was like, you know what, I'm not going to split this half and half because it's just going to be, I don't like that, the psychology of it. So I decided to go bedazzled monkey pants crazy on the first leg. So we got up at 3 a.m. on a Friday and went straight east out of south central New Mexico, um, straight into Texas, down to I-20, um, Abilene area, across to Dallas. Stopped at In-N-Out Burger, grubbed on some In-N-Out, fired up the laptop, did an, I don't know, probably did 20 minutes of maintenance on internet related uh work projects that i have um and then just pedal to the metal and then uh, the, the the target was uh memphis tennessee no 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 not memphis uh, where what was it um uh, mississippi jackson mississippi was the target it was 900 and oh, it was brutal it was like 900 and 900 and it was over 900 miles it was it was awful 
Um, so once we got to Dallas, which was kind of, it was fine because we left at 3 a.m. So we got to Dallas around, I think it was with the time change, we got to Dallas around noon. It's like, all right, you know, that's fine. But then you got in the car and it was like, holy crap, we got to push to Jackson, Mississippi. That's another almost 600 miles. Um, so what I did is I broke it up into two chunks. Interval training, it helps. Uh, Shreveport, Louisiana was just under halfway. And then it was the last leg into Jackson. So, uh, And what I decided to do was to pull up the trusty old iPhone on the hands-free bracket and pick two long movies. So one movie would play on the way from Dallas to Shreveport, and then we'd switch out another movie from Shreveport to Jackson. So on the way from Dallas to Shreveport, we watched Sound of Music, the age-old Rodgers and Hammerstein classic, which I actually read. I think it was maybe when Christopher Plummer passed away, or maybe it was his 80th birthday or the 60th anniversary of that movie coming out. It was some, some anniversary. Um, I read some interviews or some recapped interviews of his children in real life, and they actually didn't like the the movie because they said that they the director and Rodgers and Hammerstein decided to portray Captain Von Trapp um, as a very stern, rigid, loveless man, and they said that that's just totally the opposite of how he was in real life. So I thought that was interesting that his kids didn't like the movie um, because they felt that it misrepresented um, their dad. So we watched that um, and stop in Shreveport, fill up, grab a snack or two, um, and then we push it to Jackson. And the only thing I have in my iTunes library that was longer than, or not longer, but kind of pushing the length. What's that? Screen time report down 14% last week for an average of 8 hours and 18 minutes a day. You are a hypocrite. You don't let your kids be on their phone and you're on it over 8 hours a day. Yeah, but if I pull up the activity report, clowns, let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at that. Um, let's t- how, do I, how do I swipe left? Swipe right, swipe left. Come on. Where's the date? I thought I just swiped. Click, swipe. There we go, swipe. Oh, yeah, look at that. <laughs> um, screen time total, 58 hours and 7 minutes. Yeah, this is a little skewed. So I'm using my phone as a chart tracker. So I've got, I've got three monitors to track charts, and then I've decided to also set up a fourth one in my phone. Um, and so I've turned off the auto go to sleep. So my phone is on constantly, unless I manually lock it. Um, unless I manually lock it, uh, the screen is constantly active. So that skews against my screen time. Um, but I'm using it as a fourth monitor to track different stock metrics. Um, so of that 58 hours, 42 hours of that um, is the Ameritrade app. Um, that's still, what's 16 hours of what? Huh. It says I spent seven hours text messaging. That's that's clearly not accurate. Uh, maybe, maybe it counts it if... 
I wonder if it counts it if text messages are open in the background. I'm going to try that this week. I'm going to make sure that if I'm not actually engaged in an app. Holy smokes. I've got 18 friggin' apps open at the moment. All right, I'm going to swipe out of everything that's not active, and then I'm going to compare it next next uh, week to see what that does to the metrics. So, because I clearly don't have seven hours of texting in me, vomit. Um, so anyway, the, the, the movie that I could find um, that kind of rivaled, we, because we needed something that was a little, like three hours and 30 minutes, three hours, 40 minutes from Shreveport to Jackson. And uh, I found Guardians of the Galaxy and it was like two hours and 32 minutes or something. And I was like, okay, fine, we can, that'll get us somewhere near the vicinity. So we threw that on and, you know, I don't even think we watched that one. It's just kind of mindless um, comic book fun. Get to Jackson, check in, order room service because every restaurant's closed. Get gouged in the wallet um, with room service, even though it was only two pepperoni pizzas uh, and a freaking turkey burger, 80 bucks. Freaking kidding me? Well, why didn't you stay at a cheaper motel? You know, I stayed in the, the, the few times we stayed in motels as a kid, they were roach infested, bed, bed bug biting, uh, iron and cigarette stain burns on the carpet next to medium to maximum security prisons. You're lying. That's all hyperbole. Um, nope, I'm not. I'm not. If you're ever uh, between Tucson and Phoenix, Arizona, I'm still. I'm sure they're still there. Look for the the neon cowboy boot animated Spur Hotel that was 1995 with the promise of free HBO, ESPN, and Playboy. Um, and then if you're ever in South Central Phoenix, uh, there was some stanky little motel that uh, was 19.95 a night, literally across the street from a prison with you know 10 foot high fences um, and barbed wire. And I remember we were staying there one time with my dad, and it's probably three in the morning, and we hear pop, 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 pop. And, you know, within 90 seconds, you hear, you know, sirens everywhere. And, you know, my dad's like, stay low, stay low. And I, and I feel like I've told this story. Forgive me for repeating all these stories, but um, whatever. And so he opens the door, goes out on the balcony. And by this time, the the uh, ghetto bird, as we used to like to call it, the hel police helicopters up in the air with their spotlight. And it's circling around the prison. And they've got all the prison searchlights kind of spanning back and forth like the great escape. Um, and the, the, the police helicopter spotlight shines straight down. Oh, look at that. My son came home from a sleepover and he's at the front door. Um, so I'm going to break podcast protocol and keep this thing rolling. I may or may not edit it out. You'll just have to listen to see. So I'm going to run upstairs. Hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to be a math OCD guy. Stopwatch, reset, start. See how fast I can get back. Hoi! Hurdle that. Hurdle this.
send. Um, stop. 38.59. See, that was not bad. I mean, come on, guys. Little, you got to sit through three to five minutes of commercials if you're watching some lousy TV program. You just got to sit through a 38-second uh, stair interval from the basement up to the main floor to unlock a door for my son who just got back from a sleepover, which I'm proud of him. He's going he's gonna to get a sticker today, a star. <laughs> <coughs> I asked him to be home between 9 and 9.30, and he is here at 9.09. Applause for you, young man. Applause. Takes a, takes a long time to build trust, and that trust can be shattered in a second. So you have uh, you have notched up on the trust scale. Anyway, I don't even know what I was talking about. I'm wheezing now. Oh, yeah, 80 bucks for room service, two pizzas, and a turkey burger. Um, so yeah, it, my dad's out on the balcony at this this literally ghetto motel, and the police spotlight. I'll never forget the image where my sister and I are lying on the floor on the far side of the bed, peeking around the corner, and this police helicopter spotlight just boom straight onto my old man who's standing on the balcony in nothing but his whitey tighties holding a beer. <laughs> Yo, what's up, man? I'm podcasting. How are you? How was your sleepover? You, good. You get in trouble? No? Play basketball? Yeah. 2K? Did you get breakfast? No. There's, you can cook some eggs up there. Okay. Where's everybody at? Uh, your brothers are at a sleepover and Olivia's passed out. We had a, there was a huge accident outside our house last night, so we were up to like 1.30. What? You haven't told us that story yet? Uh, so anyway, um, my dad's standing there in his whitey tighties holding a beer. Not even a good beer, like a Schlitz or an old Milwaukee or something. And the police helicopter just jump. And it sat on him for a little while. (laughs) Like if I was in the police helicopter, I would have put the spotlight on him and I would have been like, oh, check out that dude in the whitey tighties. You know, I would have kept it there for a few seconds to make sure all my buddies in the the chopper saw it and laugh. And I think that's probably what they did. Um, So then the, the spotlight goes away. So to answer your question, oh, why are you spending 80 bucks on, on room service when you're supposed to be frugally sound? One, come on, dude. I mean, it's on the back end of a friggin', you know, 16-hour day. Uh, 14 hours, I think it was 14 hours that day. Um, and my justification for a little bit of splurging on a road trip is it's still fractions of what airline tickets would cost me. So, you know, stay at... I. So I, I when we were in Dallas at In-N-Out, I got on line and I looked for hotels in Jackson and every single one was like avoid bed bugs roaches mold terrible blah and I was like ooh, okay and then I found one that was a Weston and I, I don't think I've actually ever stayed at a Weston but it said brand new just opened two months ago and all the reviews were like this is the best building in all of Jackson and I was like all right cool so I clicked on it just under 300 bucks I was like you know what that's literally tickets one way were $700 a person Um, so I was like, yeah, okay. 300 bucks. Fine. End of a 14 hour day, throw a little 80 bucks at some overpriced room service, get 10 hours of nice sleep. Um, and we'll go from there. 10 hours. You're a slothful individual. Lights out at 10. And uh, I set my alarm for, I actually did. I set my alarm for uh, seven to make sure that I didn't oversleep. And I woke up at 659. It was kind of uncanny. 
so we get in the car, pack up everything, and just beeline it to to uh, Atlanta. And that was still that was still rough, but I'm glad that I pushed that extra however many miles on the first day because um, it made the second day manageable. Uh, so that was that. And then woke up Sunday morning, and this is getting to answer. This is the answer part of why uh, where have I been the last few weeks? Woke up Sunday morning with a fever. Oh no! You need you deserve to be put in a quarantine camp and never spoken to again. You're unclean. Jesus touched the lepers. People, come on, cut, cut me cut me some slack. Woke up with a fever, feeling terrible, feeling terrible. Um, and the worst part about it is the reason that I pushed through that terrible two day road trip on the way back is Sunday at two p.m. We were supposed to be playing the first round of our USTA uh, team playoffs. So, you know, I'm like, oh, man, I, I can push through this. So I get up and, you know, I take a little little bit of Advil, you know, trying to get moving. It's not happening. So I text I text the captain. I'm like, yo, bro, sorry, but I woke up with a fever and I feel like crap. So um, I, I'm out today. And he was like, no. Um, so laid in bed. Just getting worse. And probably it was five days of just pure, just pure sickness. Like, you know, like that, the scene Tombstone where Val Kilmer, you know, playing Doc Holliday's lying in the sanitarium in, you know, northern Colorado or whatever at the end of the movie. And he's like hacking up blood into a cloth and wheezing and, you know, trying to be positive. Like, that's how I felt. And I know that guys are. Uh, can be kind of wimpy when it comes to the flu. Um, they're like, I'm going to die. And you take your temperature and it's like 99.2. Um, no, but it was, it was rough. There was a couple of days there. My temperature spiked. My temperature topped at 102.5. So I bought put options on it at that point in time. <laughs> um, so I was in bed for five days. And it just ran the gamut. It was like fever, chills, sweats um gastrointestinal nonsense um just awful you definitely had covid you're unclean you're banned you are banished banish him go little papillion what was that movie with steve mcqueen papillion that like that penal colony or prison community that was like on some unescapable island um so what did the test say Surely you went out and got a COVID test. No. Why do I need a COVID test? I'm quarantined in my basement freaking 30 days out of every month. I mean, I literally work in my basement and my only interaction is tennis. So I got online and I read, okay, you know, if you have COVID, how long are you supposed to, you know, stay away from people? Um, so I stayed away from people for that advised length of time. Um and canceled tennis lessons. I actually didn't see, I didn't do anything um, really outside the house for six weeks. That's how bad it got. Um, because after those first five days, all the symptoms kind of disappeared as far as fever and, and all that nonsense. But then it just turned into like this, like it was, it was a freaking civil war in my gastrointestinal tract for the next three or four days. I mean, it was awful. Um, I was eating saltine crackers and, you know, a little bit of half a cup of chicken soup every day, just lying around. To give you an idea, 
when I left for New Mexico, I was 205 pounds, okay? Hence the 200 grams of protein lift and try and put on a little bit of weight. Um, it got to the point where last week, okay, where we were five, five and a half weeks into this thing and I hadn't done anything. I hadn't taught tennis, couldn't move. I mean, literally could barely walk down the stairs without needing to take like a two hour nap. It just felt terrible. And so I, I texted one of my tennis buddies here and I was like, hey, do you have a doctor that I can go to? Because we haven't found a primary care yet up here. And so he gave me a referral and I called him and he was like, oh, dude, you know that guy? You play tennis with him? You can come in tomorrow. So go in and I told him the whole thing. He's like, eh. He goes, what did the COVID test say? And I said, ah, I didn't bother to get one. And, you know, I don't work around people. Who cares? Um, and and <clears throat> if you believe in natural immunity and people that are close to you, i.e. family members, who all have at some point or time over the last 18 months tested positive, you then would trust when their blood work comes back and says, hey, we've got a lot of antibodies towards this particular strain of virus. Um so it should equate, at least historically equates to natural immunity. But I'll leave that one to people who are quote unquote experts and who are at a quote unquote higher pay grade than me. Jackasses. Um, so he's like, yeah, okay, fine. He goes, I, he goes, I don't know what you got. He goes, um, could have been RSV. And so I, you know, actually somebody sent me a link when we were in New Mexico, they had an RSV outbreak. Um, could have been RSV, uh, the, the Airbnb that we stayed at in, in Southern New Mexico in the mountains, we discovered had massive amounts of, um, mice and rat droppings in the closet in the bedroom that I stayed in. So I could have gotten hantavirus, um, which is a, is a patently, uh, New Mexico thing. Um, could have been, and, and he was like, well, it could have been the, and this is what my, this is what the doctor said. He goes, well, it could have been the Delta variant. It could have been the, the MU variant. I guess there's some new MU variant out. And he tells me, he looks me in the eye and he goes, but we wouldn't really know that because neither of the tests pick up the variant anyway. And I was like, oh, Talk about a scandemic. Holy smokes, we're testing for something that the tests admittedly from the health professional says can't even detect the variant to begin with. Ay, 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 Como? Huh? Big question marks. Confused face. Hand face palm emoji. Whew. Insanity people. People have lost their reasoning and their, their critical thinking skills. Um, so he draws blood work, you know, and he runs down the list. He's like, okay, well, I'm just going to assume that you got some virus, whether it was COVID, Delta, Mu, RSV, um, Hanta, general flu. We're just going to assume that's what you got, but we're going to do blood work to make sure that you don't have a thyroid problem, a testosterone problem, a vitamin B deficiency, a vitamin D deficiency, a vitamin K problem, a, um, you know, and he goes in and if you know, bad white or red blood cell counts and he goes in as we go down that list, it could open the door to Lou Gehrig's disease, multiple sclerosis, cancer. Um, and he goes, I don't think it's those things, but we're just going to, you know, that'll be the checklist as we go down. Sort of like an NFL quarterback reading the defense. Okay, I'm going to, you know, do my reads and check down the list. So he calls me uh, two days. No, I yeah, that was, I think he called me two days later. Maybe it might have even been the next afternoon. I mean, they were fast. 
and he calls me and he's like, hey man, your blood work came back. He goes, totally fine. He goes, nothing's wrong. He goes, in fact, you've got the highest vitamin B count I've ever seen. He said, normally it's in the range of like 200 to 350. And he goes, yours was like 800. He's like, so whatever you're doing there, he goes, it's not, not going to hurt you. Um, which I should probably verify. I should probably verify whether elevated vitamin B is not going to lead to like growing a third leg or something. Although I kind of already do have a third leg. That was a drum and cymbal locker room uh, jock joke. <laughs> this podcast is lewd. No, I'll tell you what's lewd. I'll tell you what's lewd is the stuff going around our school system. Oh, geez, you're jumping the shark. Here he goes. No, I'm serious. Go on. There, I found a, a video this morning. I actually love the fact that all this leftist bullcrap is getting pointed out through all this nonsense. Because I'm telling you, there is a Bolshevik Marxist revolution afoot in the education system, and it's been going on for at least 40 years. <laughs> How can you go from blood work to Bolsheviks? They rhymes. Maybe I should name, I'm going to rename this thing to, to blood work and Bolsheviks. <clears throat> this has a nice ring to it. Blood work and Bolsheviks. No, I'm serious. There's the, the best part of this is parents are starting to get involved as they should um, at the local level in their school districts. There's a video in Texas at a PTA meeting, a school board meeting, and they're demanding that all these school board members resign because this mom is up there showing, it was called, I think it was called Lawn Boy. She was like, this is the book that my English teacher gave to um, my son to read, Lawn Boy. Okay, DuckDuckGo, you are worthless. I wanna support you, but you are worthless. It just gives me, I mean, dude, work on your algorithm. I got to go to Google like over half the time. <clears throat> I mean, that's just awful. Awful. Yeah, I, I searched Lawn Boy on DuckDuckGo and <clears throat> it's just pictures of lawnmowers. You kidding me? And I go to Google and I search Lawn Boy, first result, Lawn Boy, book by Gary Paulson, published in 2009. Anyway, so she reads these excerpts, and I'm going off entirely off of this video, okay? Because she's reading these excerpts. She has her son and another volunteer up there, and they're 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 they have on poster board. They have pictures with highlights, you know, from the actual book. So it's not even like they typed it into PowerPoint, and you're going, oh, well, I, now I have to trust the PowerPoint. She actually has the book scanned on an image, page number, title. And she's got these sentences and, and paragraphs highlighted. And, and this book's talking about, and, and if, if, you, if uh, you have kids around, this might be a good time to hit the uh, pause button and tell them to exit um, because it was a little graphic. Anyway, she proceeds to, to read these passages um, where this, this guy's writing about oral sex activities as a fourth grader with church camp counselors and grown men. And it's like a huge theme of the book. And the, the English teacher gave this to the students. So uh, it, it, it's insanity. I, I know the laws of the land follow the morality of the people. Um, but at the same time, there is a subversive force in play, Satan. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're like Bobby Boucher's mom. Everything's the devil. Hey, look, mom, it's the devil. It's Dick Clark doing the four, three, two, one. Happy New Year. <clears throat> um, there's a subversive force in play, uh, which is seeking to undermine um lots of different things not the least of which is any semblance of natural law um and natural order which is male female adults there there are subversive forces in play especially trying to normalize pedophilia um, and transgenderism. There, I said it. Oh no, you're going to get canceled. It's my own domain, moron. Apple iTunes is going to remove you. Fine. Just come to muthanomics.com and click play on the audio file. I mean, how hard is that? It's inconvenient because I can't just open up my podcast subscriber app. Um, stop being so lazy. Uh, yeah, there's, there's subversive forces in play. So the best part of all the, a lot of this stuff is is parents are actually you know, kind of waking up to what there are some, why should my, why should my sophomore in high school be reading this book, trying to normalize pedophilia? Like, what? Um, which leads me to, uh, to a thing I saw yesterday. Apparently some transgender guy, you can't call him a guy. He's a woman now. No, he's not. His XY chromosomes would call him a male. Um, so I'm just I'm just sticking to the I'm not going to uh, discriminate against the XY chromosomes right um, to assign or refer to their preferred letters. Um, so I think it's important that we respect the chromosomes um, because their preferred letters are XX and XY. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be xenophobic uh, towards them or chromosome phobic towards them, um, and I don't want to engage in hate speech towards their preferred letters. So, um, you know, in in due respect to those letters, um, you know, I'm just gonna gonna abide by their request to be to be referred to as an XX or an XY. Um, so this. This particular person who, who has uh, on here, <clears throat> I still got, I still got the funk. This is gonna be good. I, I, and you're probably gonna laugh at me. I'm actually gonna figure this out. I mean, I know I know it, but I don't want to misspeak. Um, oh, and why am I on Wikipedia? Um, this is, oh yeah, this is just a, this is just a, okay, I probably need to go back. Um, click, enter. This is unbelievable. I, I searched is XY chromosome male or female? And all Google is giving me is that 
it's just given me a bunch of political gender study nonsense where their first statement is gender is a social construct blah 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 okay here all the way down to medlineplus.gov finally girls and women typically have typically typically okay so the letters the preferred letters of these chromosomes woman xx man xy so the mma fighter who has an X and a Y chromosome decided to appear as if and state that he now has, he decide, he's deciding to present as someone who has XX chromosomes and MMA in their political wokeness and insanity um, allowed this guy, uh, this, sorry, this, person with an X and a Y chromosome to fight against someone who has an X and an X chromosome. And shock of all shocks, the person with the XY chromosome soundly defeated the person with the XX chromosome. And there's a picture going around the internet of this person with the XY chromosome having the hand belonging to the person with the XY chromosome raised in the air by the referee declaring that the person with the XY chromosome was victorious. And the person with the XY chromosome is wearing a shirt that says end trans genocide. And it's just becoming harder and harder to even take any of this stuff seriously. And, and I think the, I really am convinced that I think the absurdity, I think the absurdity is pushed so um, aggressively because they're looking for an over-the-top response back the other way so that they can then shift the narrative and say, oh, look, 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 we told you that they were violent. We told you that they were extremists. They, we told you that they were lunatics. So you have the lunatics running the insane asylum. And if anybody tries to take control of the lunatic asylum, um, they're deemed as being the real lunatics. So it's to the point where there's there's just zero credibility, um, and I, I think that that's my that's become my my kind of foundational layer here is there's just no credibility. And there's no reason to get the passions inflamed. There's no reason to yell and rant and rave and scream. Um, and, and really, there's even no reason to point out the hypocrisy because there's the certain people in the woke arena um, are so delusional and so absent, uh, rational and creative, not creative, they're, they're incredibly creative thought. I mean, how do you go from an XX and an XY to infinite genders? Um, because they're not the same thing. It's biological sex and gender is a construct. Can't you wrap your mind around that, you medieval troglodyte? Um, yeah, so there's really even no reason um, to point out the hypocrisy because they're not concerned about the hypocrisy. Um, in fact, there I, I think the shame component has been um, it's, it's like they, it's been completely removed, you know, 
traditionally when you pointed out hypocrisy, um, it was intended to create some shame element, which would then kind of motivate you to, you know, circle back around on your position and draw alternate conclusions or, you know, examine where you might be wrong. But they're not, they have no shame, shameless. So pointing out hypocrisy does nothing because they're, it's like they have a vaccination that actually works, unlike the COVID vaccine. Oh, you're spreading misinformation. You're definitely getting canceled. <laughs> I saw, you know, the, who's the kid on The Simpsons? It's not Millhouse. Oh, why can't I remember his name? It's the kid that has the high-pitched voice and he's always like really dumb. Oh, it's, it's Chief Wiggum's son, whoever that kid is. I saw a meme going around and he said, uh, it said, he was picking his nose and it said, uh, I'm actually going to pull it up just so I quote it exactly. Um, it was pretty stinking funny. Um, he's got his finger up his nose and I'm going to try to mimic his voice. He says, I got vaccinated, but if you get vaccinated, my vaccination will work gooder. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, I'm pretty certain, I'm just going to let you know right now, I'm pretty certain um, that Apple is running algorithms to detect words in audio files. Um, so if this gets removed from the Apple iTunes podcast library, go to muthonomics.com. Um, and all the, all the episodes are available there. You can click the audio file directly. You're really paranoid. No, I say that because when we were in New Mexico, man, this episode's long. How long is this thing? I love it. When we were in New Mexico, um, there's literally a billboard on those digital billboards that rotate every five seconds. There was a digital billboard that popped up and it said $5 million. And then it had a domain name underneath it, vaxtothemax.com. Um, and you could go to vaxtothemax.com and prove that you got vaccinated and you were entered into a drawing to win five, a $5 million vaccine lottery. And so I snapped a picture of the billboard and I put it on my Instagram story. I didn't include any text, nothing, just posted the picture. Didn't include commentary, didn't include text, didn't type, what a joke, COVID is a hoax, COVID's real, get the vax, don't get the vax. I didn't type anything. I just posted a picture of that, of the billboard. And to be quite honest, it was kind of blurry because we were, you know, it was on the freeway going 55 miles an hour and it is a little bit blurry. I thought you were hands-free. Well, in that particular instance, I was not. Um, and if uh, you have a problem with that, if you're going to prosecute me for that, well, you'll have to prove. Well, whatever. I'm really going on rabbit trails. I might be still suffering from hypoxia. Um, anyway, so I post that picture. And within 15 minutes, um, I get a notification that Instagram has added a an official, uh, uh, an official stamp of click this link to go to the CDC for official COVID information. So Instagram is running algorithms to determine text inside of pictures. So they're reading text inside of pictures, um, which doesn't blow me away. I mean, it's not that hard to do, um, but it was very dystopian and very Orwellian in that particular regard. Um, so it would not surprise me one bit if uh, these big tech companies are running algorithms to detect words inside of audio files. Um, so we'll see, who knows. Um, 
where was I going with this? Ralphie vaccines, uh, X, Y. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's just, it's gotten to the point where, um, yeah, I said that they, these people have received a vaccine, which prevents them from feeling or experiencing shame. Um, so there's no need to rant and rave and scream and holler and, you know, blast, confront people and, you know, put them on blast and all that stuff. Um, it's just a, it's just, it's just zero credibility and it's a no. I mean, it's a no. It's self-evident and it's a no. Um, so anyway, what else has happened? Um, I have no idea. I mean, I got a list of stuff that I kind of want to rant about. You just said you're not going to rant. Um, but it is, how far am I into this thing? Jeez Louise, feels like I've been yapping for three hours. Well, I haven't been here in like four weeks, so cut me a break. Um, US Open happened. Fernandez and what's her name? Uh, went at it, the girl who ended up winning. Um, and someone asked me, they were like, are you excited about that final tomorrow night? Um, and I said, you know, not not really, not particularly. And I said, why? It's like history. And I said, yeah, but if you look at the teenagers who have won over the last 15, 20 years, probably even going all the way back to Andrea Yeager in the 80s, I mean, there's just so much pressure on these young people and I think it's actually ruined more lives than it has enriched their lives. Um, and they might have enriched their bank accounts through endorsements and things. I've talked about Naomi Osaka. I mean, she's clearly not in a good space mentally. And I think it's the result of having, you know, she's become a, a profit center, a revenue center, and so, of course, you're going to have all of the leeches who make money on that uh, just, you know, glom onto her. And as a, as a young person, 19, 20, 21, 22, <clears throat> after a few years, that can't be a pleasant experience. And, I mean, even going back to some of the guys in the 80s, I remember Mats Wielander, the guy from Sweden, you know, he was a prodigy. And I think he won the Australian Open in 83 um, when he was pretty young, he was pretty young and, and he, he won the Australian <clears throat> and then, you know, he had a run there between 83 and 88 where he, you know, won, won a handful of grand slams. I think I've talked about before where he, he was, he won three of the four grand slams in 88. Well, and he, he talks about how, you know, all of that fame and all that money as a youth in the eighties, even before there was social media and all this stuff, you know, kind of tipped him over the edge and he got addicted to cocaine um, became a hard partier, uh, wheels kind of came off. There are stories about Mark Philippousis kind of going down the same road with gambling and drugs and things. Um, so it's not, I'm not just saying, oh, it's only, it only impacts young teenage women tennis players. You can't say women, young tennis players with an X, X chromosome. Um, it impacts the, the, the fame, the, the challenges that come with fame and money and, leeches trying to profit off of you are equally similar they do not discriminate against your letters as i said they're very tolerant of your letters so if you are an xx letter or an xy letter set um those pressures are universally true so so yeah it was cool because it is history but having seen so many people before jennifer capriotti is a perfect example um, Mary Pierce, I mean, psycho tennis dads. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're just, they're just so many examples of people's lives 
getting worse after a lot of those experiences happen. Um, that it was, it's becoming harder and harder for me to get super psyched um, for them. Uh, with that said, Djokovic and Medvedev play um, in the final today, and I'm soundly rooting against Djokovic. Um, just, I don't like him. He's too desperate. He's desperate to be loved, and he just, I've never liked him. He's obnoxious. I think I've said before when he won that open in whatever it was, 12 or 13, 14, 15, maybe 14, 15, somewhere in there. That was what might have been 12. He ripped his shirt off like the Hulk and flexed his muscles, and I was like, dude, come on. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for Medvedev, and I like Medvedev because he doesn't give two flying flips about anything. Um, and he actually thrives off of the negativity. So I, I think he is a, he's, he's not someone I would want my daughter to date, but he is highly entertaining on the tennis court. One, because he's fit and he's talented and he puts in the work, unlike a curios. Um, but just his kind of thriving off of the negativity and wanting the booze um, to me is hysterical. So I'm hoping that Medvedev plays the spoiler of this uh, gr seasonal Grand Slam that Djokovic is going for. Um, next on the list, this thing's going on forever. Hey, I got a lot of stuff to get out. Almost done. Uh, next thing on the list is the infantilizing of America's adults is reaching all-time lows. It's getting to the point where it is absolutely despicable and we need to recapture manliness, womanliness, and mature responsibility. Wow, that was that was stern. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from Kroger, the grocery store. If you're on the East Coast and you have Kroger's, go to their parking lot and look at the illustrations that they are using to represent their customers. I thought you said there was no reason to yell and berate and get heated. Go to their parking lot and look at these illustrations. They are fat, round, slovenly, juvenile, not even juvenile, like not even teenage looking, childlike representations of adults. There's not a single one that looks confident, that looks determined, that looks focused. They all look, and I've talked about this before with Wally, the directors of Wally, the creators of Wally, who will probably get canceled for fat shaming on that future ship when all the fat friggin' doughboy slobs roll off their hovercraft lounge chairs because they've been drinking 64 ounce sodas for the last forever. Mark my words, Wally's going to get canceled because they're going to be accused of fat shaming if we let this insanity continue. People in Wally on that ship were slobs. They were addicted to their screens. They couldn't control their sugar intake. They did zero exercise. And all they looked to do was entertain themselves. Hello, that's America. Um, and that's what the characters at the Kroger grocery store that's how they're representing the adult population in this country, their customer base. They took a page out of the Wally movie and they said, oh, we're, we're actually not gonna, because Wally kind of made like a critique of that. It was like, oh geez, this is where we're headed. It was kind of like a warning shot. It was like, hey, if we keep this up, this is what we're gonna look like. Kroger has flipped it around and they've embraced it. They're like, yes, we should look like this. You should be 50 pounds overweight, 80 pounds overweight. You should have no purpose. You should have no determination. You should have no strength. You should play the victim card. 
You should have health issues. Oh, and then you should shop at our place because we're understanding of all of that stuff. Come give us your money. Why did I just sound like I'm kind of seductive? <laughs> Capitalism. Greedy corporations seducing you. So if that wasn't bad enough, take the road trip. Rewind to the beginning of this episode and six weeks ago. Take the road trip. We're in Albuquerque. I go to a Smith's. Okay, Smith's is the grocery store chain in New Mexico. It might be other, other parts of the West. I pull into the parking lot at Smith's. They have the exact same illustrations and messaging that Kroger does. And I'm not talking similar. Like, you know, hey, here's a red delicious apple and here's a gala. They're kind of similar. The exact same. Carbon copy. Same ad agency, exact same image, exact same images, and I and so I turned the light on. I was like, "Wait a second, that means that Kroger and Kroger's Kroger and Smiths are owned by the same corporation, and whatever this parent corporation is, it's pushing that visual message of it's okay to be slovenly, to be not even juvenile. It's okay to be childlike in your adulthood. It's disgusting. So." As I, as I said, we, our kids had sleepovers last night. Our boys did, a couple different places. And so we're home with our daughter. And she's like, hey, you guys want to watch Boss Baby 2? And I was like, oh, okay, you know, not really. But yeah, we'll, we'll give it a try. I t- we, we literally, and, and I'm kind of ticked off because it's that whole theater at home thing, you know, which makes sense from a pricing standpoint. You know, it's like, hey, if you actually go to the theater, you're going to pay 12, 15 bucks a ticket times four. That's, you know, 48 to 60 bucks buy the movie at home for $19.99, and hey, it's less. So that's the justification. That's why they're doing it. Um, yet there's no guarantee that they're not going to remove it from the library, you know, some point down in the future, you know, just citing some, you know, terms and conditions update. Um, in fact, there's a guy that I made a list of on Twitter who was currently keeping track of all the things that Apple was removing from his library you know, years after he purchased them by changing, oh yeah, well, you know, hey, we lost the rights to this or we changed our terms or this, uh, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, (laughs) digital stuff is convenient, but it can also be removed in the blink of an eye, snap of a finger, press of a button. Um, So we get into this thing and I thought it was going to be the same narrative, you know, where the baby's doing something and, you know, you're going to follow this baby around. It's going to be a bunch of silly hijinks. Well, no, the movie fast forwards like 35 years and this baby has grown up. And he has grown up into the doyest, most effeminate, pathetic excuse for a, for a, a person possessing XY letters that you've ever seen. He's fat. He's squeezed into these skinny jeans with his huge old tusha, tukus, tushy. I don't even know what you want to call it. And his like floppy emo haircut. And he's like, oh, I'm the best dad in the world. My wife, she goes out and works so hard, but I stay home and I play unicorn games with my kids. Woo! I'm like, okay, there's nothing wrong with working from home. Clearly, the landscape has changed. But working from home doesn't mean that you are an effeminate wanker. I'm sort of violating my... (laughs) I'm violating my own uh, standards of not... There's no reason to rant and rave. Um, No, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, we need to take a principled stand for the defense of adulthood. 
responsibility, strength of character. Because if we don't, we're allowing victim culture to grow. And if we allow, I'm not even, if we allow victim culture to grow, more and more fake victims are going to co-opt it and real victims will be left out in the cold. Oh, you can't really say that. Yes, I can. You're not a victim if you're sipping lattes, working on a $3,000 laptop, sitting on a $2,500 couch, binge-watching some show on an 80-inch big screen. You're not a victim. You're a loser, but you're not a victim. And I think what's happening... And I think this is what's happening. So I said the shame vaccine. I actually think what's happening is it's just a reframing of the meaning of the words. So if your conscience condemns you, oh man, I'm 80 pounds overweight and I've just been sitting on this couch binge watching crap for a better part of my 20s or my 30s. Um, you're confronted with, dude, get off your big fat keister and start trying to be a responsible adult or what's happened is you've been conveniently given a get out of responsibility free card which is i can just say that i'm a victim i'm a victim of hyperthyroidism or i'm a victim of i can't control my appetite um i'm a victim of whatever insert all the things and of course i'm going to get the emails that are like <laughs> You mentioned hyperthyroidism. There's 1,242 cases a year. And, uh, <laughs> well, it doesn't, that's, it accounts for a minuscule, minuscule percentage of the actual people who, whose obesity is due to the fact that they can't, stop, they, they can't stop stuffing their face with sugar and saturated fat and carbs, and they can't drag themselves off of their lounge furniture and pry the remote out of their fingers, their fat, greasy, sweaty, chubby fingers um, in order to maybe go burn some calories. You really are. You're a fitness bigot. Um, and that's the next move. I'm just letting you know right now that's the next move. There was some, some quote-unquote media organization that ran an article 10 days ago talking about the damage that muscle dysphoria is doing among the male population. I love how there's no genders when it serves their agenda. And then when it needs to serve their agenda, there's all of a sudden there's genders. So like, you know, the, the in latest insanity is that people are being referred to as, as, as birthing persons. So they, they can't bring themselves to call women women. They're birthing persons. But then when Texas passes an anti-abortion bill, then all of a sudden women reemerge and men are monsters. <laughs> Can't have it both ways, dummies. Um, <clears throat> as one particular uh, internet pundit said, pick Elena crazy and stay in it. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, there's... Uh, Anyway, yeah, so muscle dysmorphia. So gender dysmorphia, it's going to um, muscle dysmorphia. So all that is, is, the, is it is a passive-aggressive, subversive setup to start going after men who want to be men. 
it's it's a subversive setup to start priming the psychological pump to go after people who have an X and a Y in their biology um, to start putting pressure on them societally to feel ashamed that they're working out, to feel ashamed that they have uh, muscles. Oh, it's it's a it's a it's part of the patriarchal evil to think that men should be strong so just resist it it's bigoted just just join us in our quest to become a human marshmallow um it really is shameful and it's just kind of running out of ammo like it's just so exhausted it's like uh, this is done like it's just done um but the downside to capitalism is as long as you incentivize it uh it's not done so um I really think we're going to have a parallel economy. I think we're going to start seeing more, more and more parallel economies. I think we're going to start seeing, and I think that's why Bitcoin's on a on a tear. Oh, it's not on a tear; it's down. Um, this weekend, it's starting to rebound. But I think that's why Bitcoin is on a tear is because it's decentralized, um, and it's anonymous. And you know, I think that uh, I think that's why it's on a tear. Is is I think there's a good chunk of people around the world going, hmm, this is trending in the wrong direction. Um, we are incentivizing stuff that is morally and... Well, on the, on the, on the one extreme, it's morally reprehensible. Um, and on the lesser extreme, it's morally questionable. Um, so I think you're going to start seeing more and more parallel, parallel economies. I think you're going to start seeing um, freedom of speech banks... Uh, so I think you're going to start seeing that. But the thing that you have to pay attention to, and it was the exact same way, just to show that I'm not some partisan hack, it was the exact same way when the Republicans were in control under George Bush. And they ranted and raved about Clinton and all of his foreign intervention and being involved in Serbia and Bosnia and Rwanda. And, oh, look at the helicopter and our Marines died. And he's he's terrible. And then they turned right around and then they went on a full-on Captain America on steroids. Let's in fact I was there was somebody posted a clip of one of the generals from 2004, 2005 saying that their plan was to conquer seven countries in the next five years. And he just he just kind of shot it off the hip. It's like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take out seven countries in the next five years. Libya, uh, Syria, um, Iraq. Afghanistan, two others, and then we're, oh, Sudan, and then we're going to finish with Iran, is what he said. I was like, so it's not a partisan thing. This is not some red-blooded, you know, um, MAGA hat-wearing lunatic behind this microphone. It is, oh, you now you just alienated that group. No, my point is that we should be principally based, not politically based. It's not parties. The amendments in the Constitution don't belong to a party. They exist on their own. Um, but that, that's what the Republicans did. So they positioned anybody who questioned the military as being, you know, unpatriotic and treasonous. And it's like, well, what? what? I mean, no. <laughs> Imperialism took down Rome, amongst other things, and... Uh, so you can look at history and go, hey, when a military gets overextended, it historically has bankrupted a country. 
um, which has led to its downfall. Okay, that's happened with, let's see, France, Britain, Rome, and what are, I'm sure, other empires. I'm just feeling too lazy this morning to go through the list entirely. But that's how empires fall. They get overextended militarily, they get overexpended expense-wise, and then they begin to deteriorate. And so you make that point uh, under George W. Bush's presidency, and you're called a hippie and a tree hugger and unpatriotic, and you hate our country. Um, and then you fast forward to today and you say, hey, we should be championing, I still screw up that word, I hate that word, I'm going to find a better word, um, supporting adulthood and responsibility and strength and vigor and resistance to challenges in life and perseverance. And it's like, oh, you're a, you're a bigot, you're a misogynist, you're a xenophobe, you're a monster, you're a patriarchal blah, 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 blah. And it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? So in my mind, it's run its course. Hopefully a pendulum swings back the other way because in my estimation of America, that's kind of how we go. We kind of go, you know, this pendulum of like uh, super crazy, like, so take World War II, super crazy. Um, well, World War I, America didn't want to get involved. Didn't want to get involved. Didn't want to get involved. Hey, we should just be our own nation. Don't get involved tangling affairs. We get involved. A lot of people die. You get to World War II. America doesn't kind of want to get involved. They don't want to, you know, they don't want, hey, it's Hitler. It's their thing. They can do what they want. And then we get attacked by Japan. Okay, we got to get involved. Fight that thing. And then the rationale going forward from then with NATO and the UN was, hey, we can't let this happen again. This is two massive wars in, in you know, back-to-back generations. We can't let this happen. So we got to go. Got to intervene. We got to fight communism. We got to be proactive. We got to preempt. So we get involved in Korea and Vietnam and Cambodia and Central America and all over the place, Iran, all this stuff. So we pendulum swing from being what critics would say is isolationist um, to being completely 100% interventionist. Um, so these pendulums kind of swing like this. We go from, you know, viewing African Americans as three fifths of, of a person wrong to correcting to viewing them as individuals, which is 100% correct. Um, and thankfully, that pendulum, um, well, I don't know. Depends on where you live in the country. Hopefully that pendulum doesn't swing back because that's a debacle if that swings back. Um, that pendulum needs to stay completely on the correct side of every individual is 100% a person, does 100% have certain inalienable rights, the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Um, but some of these other uh, pendulums kind of swing. So we went from that World War II generation um, to then the hippie movement, which was like, hey, stop killing babies, you baby killers. Um, and then from there, we kind of swung back to Reagan conservatism. Um, and then from there, we swung to kind of Clinton liberalism. And then from there, we swung to Bush conservatism and then to Obama liberalism and then Trump populism and now Biden authoritarianism. And who knows where we're going to swing? I mean, the swings seem to be getting more and more uh, extreme and they seem to be getting more and more authoritarian, but it's hard. It's just hard for me to say that because 
As I've said before, people accused Teddy Roosevelt of running roughshod over the Constitution by forming the national parks and declaring land federally controlled. Um, people, you know, flipped their lid when FDR tried to stack the Supreme Court. So eh, nothing's new under the sun. But principally speaking, we need to be encouraging adulthood. Like even, heck, even Paul the Apostle, hey, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. When I became a man, I spoke and behaved like the man. Like there's nothing wrong with becoming an adult. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's challenging. But it's also incredibly rewarding and incredibly fulfilling. And I think that's one of the things you know, this whole, this whole like uh, cheerleading of victimhood status, it feels good on the front end because it's easy, but it's really hollow on the back end because there's no sense of achievement. There's no sense of accomplishment. There's no sense of overcoming. There's no sense of victory. And so the only way that you can get that dopamine hit is to just further slink into the pit of victimhood. And I read a quote this week by Maya Angelou, which I thought was fantastic. She said, you cannot open new doors with old keys. And I think that, that there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I think that we should be looking at, okay, what are the doors? What are the new doors that we want to open? Um, and why are we insisting on using, doubling down on using these old keys? Um, so that's sort of... Uh, Kroger. So I actually haven't shopped at Kroger since because that advertising campaign just, it's just highly offensive to me. Um, stop infantilizing adults. Stop it. Stop it. So what's up, Apple voice recognition algorithms? How you doing? <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. So yeah, I was out of the saddle for six weeks. Um, and I am, this is the first week I'm back. Like literally I tried to, like I said, I was walking down the stairs and was sucking wind. Um, I went out and this last week I walked a mile, came home, slept for two and a half hours. Um, the next day I forced myself to stay awake the whole day. It was hard. I mean, I, I just, I can't tell you how, how much energy this thing zapped. In fact, the doctor told me there's there's something called long haulers. He said with, with RSV and with COVID, he said there's these things called long haulers. And he said one of his best friends who's a triathlete, has he got COVID eight months ago. He said he can still barely do anything. Um, he said at best he can do one third of what he used to be doing. And he said that his blood work's fine. Everything's fine. No, tests are negative. They can't find anything wrong with him. Um, but he's just, he's just zapped. Um, so the next day I got up, Stayed up all day, walked a mile in the evening, came home and just passed out cold for like 11 hours. Um, next day, I decided to walk a mile in the morning, mile in the evening, a little bit better. Um, and then, you know, then I've just been forcing myself to do kind of, you know, 30 minute workouts here and there. So I feel pretty close. I'm probably 80, 85% um, back to normal, but energy levels are, they're a volatile subject they're kind of like a tesla battery <laughs> oh man this is the longest podcast i've ever done i don't know if it made any sense and i didn't even get to my stocks um stocks are volatile at the moment which <coughs> as i've said before i like um 
I'm trading more and more paper options. I've gotten through, I mentioned a few months back that I ordered uh, options for dummies. I've read that. I've picked up a few more books, a few more educational resources on options. Um, and and it, trying to understand the deltas, the, not the deltas, the Greeks. I'm trying to understand the Greeks, the, the implied volatility, the time decay, all that kind of stuff. Because you can be right on the price movement of an option, but if you don't get the time frame right of it, you are absolutely in trouble. Um, so I'm still paper trading those, trying to figure this out. A lot of people are saying that the S&P, the SPY index, is going to bomb. It's the longest time that it hasn't retreated to its 200-day moving average. Um, so I'm currently, uh, I've, I've, I'm fluctuating between being a being a very short-term trader and being a long-term investor because I, I can see both sides. I read Warren Buffett, and he clearly is a successful long-term investor. And I personally have watched lines go up and down on a screen and clicked and bought and made money throughout the day, which is fun and exhilarating. But in the, in the space of, of a security making a big move, um, the profit is minuscule in comparison. For instance, I day traded a chip stock when there's chip shortage was happening. I day traded a couple times between two and three bucks. Got out of it. It lingered two to three bucks um, you know, for the next three months or so. And then just two weeks ago, you know, there was some press release about how, you know, they got some big semiconductor chip shortage contract and it shot up to 12. So, you know, I day traded it made money, which works, um, but I missed the move, you know, from three bucks to 12 bucks. Um, and I've got, you know, a couple other examples of those sorts of things where, you know, you miss out on bigger moves when you're day trading. So I've kind of been mixing in a valuation model as well. Um, and the one I've been using, which is the easiest and most straightforward for me to calculate is just the price to sales. Um, and there are a lot of stocks. This is the first time since 1999 that the market cap of stocks that have a price to sales ratio greater than 20 is exceeding $1 trillion. In 1999, it was like 1.2 trillion. And we are currently pushing two trillion. So we the market cap of, of stocks that has a price to sales ratio over twenty is almost two trillion dollars. So I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that we could see a significant correction. Um, so my current thesis, uh, my current thesis that I'm holding to, and we'll see if it if it plays out, um, is keeping cash on hand. But I did enter my thesis is that. The more money that the governments around the world print, the more Bitcoin and crypto is going to go up because people view it as an alternative to that inflation because the Bitcoin supply, theoretically, at least right now, I'm sure they could change the rules at any time because it is algorithms. Um, they can't just press a button and generate, you know, 50 trillion new Bitcoins. So I think because of that, I think in relation, my guess is that Bitcoin, here's my prediction. I think Bitcoin's gonna go down, maybe go horizontal between now and the end of September. And then I think that when the Congress, Senate, Biden, whatever signs into law, that boondoggle of a three and a half trillion dollar whatever, um, I think that Bitcoin is probably going to shoot up and past 60,000 bucks. Um, so that is my current thesis. And so to play that thesis, I'm actually not buying Bitcoin. I found a particular stock um, that is uh, in, in the works of becoming the largest 
uh, Bitcoin miner in the world. Currently, Riot and Marathon um, are the two biggest. This particular one uh, called Sphere3D, um, they are merging with a company called Any. No, no, no. Any is Sphere3D. They're merging with Gryphon Digital. And Gryphon Digital, uh, their mission and vision is to become the world's largest uh, Bitcoin miner by 2022. And... The thing I like about it the most is they're playing up the carbon neutral angle. So um, the scientist in me, you're not a scientist, you're tinfoil hat wearing maniac, uh, is, you know, as I've said before, like I was looking at Mont Saint, whatever, Mont Saint Michel, Mont Saint uh, something, that, that island fortress. Uh, off the coast of France, off the coast of Normandy, I think. I think it's off the coast of Normandy. Um, it's, it's been there. <laughs> they stinking populated that thing in like the seventh century. And you're telling me that if the sea levels were rising, that people would still be living on that thing? I mean, there's just so much visual evidence that just baffles my mind. Um, you're not measuring the right things. Um, well, I can look at pictures and I can read a history book and I can say, hey, uh, there's a picture from 1890 of that island and it looks exactly the same as it looks now. Hmm. Go figure. Go figure. Um, so anyway, they're trying to, they, they, their main messaging is that they want to be a green Bitcoin miner. So not only are they going to be the largest, they're going to be green carbon neutral. And on top of that, their exahash rate is about 40% better than Riot and Marathon. So I'm going long on them in the midst of, in the, midst of uh, the spy and valuations being higher than they've ever been since 1999. I am going long <laughs> at the top of the bubble. Um, on a Bitcoin mining stock because I think that the Federal Reserve's commitment to print us into oblivion is going to cause Bitcoin's price to continue to increase as a protection against that. Um, and last thing I'll say, and then we'll end this uh, marathon of a rioting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> There's a flag word for the Apple audio algorithms. He said riot. It's a stock symbol, morons. R-I-O-T. Um, last thing I will say is I can't remember. This thing's gone on too long. Oh, come on. It was a good, it was a good conclusion. It was a good conclusion. Was it Um Oh, Michael Burry. The big short guy, I read an article this week, he has moved 60% of his portfolio into, into real assets. So coal and minerals and real estate and uh, commodities and land and corn and different things. And his rationale was that all of the stimmy check money, um, he, he, he claims that the Federal Reserve is not accurately counting um, the stimulus money that went directly into people's banks bank accounts he he believes that that's off the books what the federal reserve um and the the federal reserve is not accurately 
publishing their monetary transactions? Shock of shocks. Um, oh, but their COVID statistics are bulletproof. <laughs> okay, I am going to write this down because this is going to be this is going to be fodder for next episode. The uh, and I said that hypocrisy doesn't matter, and I don't think it does, but it's still highly entertaining. Um, and I'll just give you a quick preview of the people who, you know, 2000, 2019, side-by-side tweets, 2019, I will never take a vaccine that Trump developed and fast-tracked because he's trying to poison us and kill us. Fast forward 10 months, we need vaccine mandates immediately. Same person, um, just partisan political clowns, uh, cheerleading for their preferred homecoming king. Um so that 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 side of the hypocrisy is hysterical. Um, so anyway, yeah, Michael Burry, he's a contrarian investor, uh, and he's going to real assets. I am partially, if not fully, contrarian, and I am banking on the fact that that off if if those if that money flow is really off the books, then inflation worries are probably worse than we actually think they are. And if that's the case. If you have something that is tracking value, i.e. Bitcoin um, or Ethereum or whatever else, uh, and it has a limited supply, pure economics demands that the price goes up. So that's my thesis. We'll see if it works. We'll see if it works. We'll see if it works. Hour and 45 minutes. That's painful even for me. Um, if you ended up making it all the way to the end of this particular rambling episode, you can send questions to podcast at muthonomics.com podcast at muthonomics.com. And I'm going to make a note to actually check those for next time because, uh, I got notifications that we got some questions in and I just too lazy and rambling to pull them up today. Questions or is it questions? You should know your own email address. I do this every single time. Uh, It's either questions at muthonomics.com or podcast at muthonomics.com. Try both. Eh, Extra eight seconds of typing on your end, whatever. Stop being a victim and do the work. Peace.